Welcome to Bina, KALW's program featuring creative voices from the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco. In this series, we bring you remarkable artists and thinkers who've come to speak at the JCCSF as part of our Arts and Ideas program. On this edition of Bina, our guest is comedian, actor, and television host Bob Saget, who died in January at the age of 65. Best known for his work on Full House, America's Funniest Home Videos, Entourage, and numerous stand-up specials, Saget appeared at JCCSF in 2014 to share his memoir, Dirty Daddy, the chronicles of a family man turned filthy comedian. He was joined in conversation by veteran radio talk show host Ron Owens. And now join Jordan Abel on stage at the JCCSF as she introduces... Bob Saget, and Ron Owens. When I was uh, thinking about introducing these two, I actually I thought about just coming out on stage and just starting by cursing and just letting loose a bunch of expletives because I've never had the opportunity to curse from this podium before. <laughs> And I'm pretty sure I won't have the opportunity again, but I decided to leave that to the master, Mr. Saget himself. So, some of you know him for his family-friendly shows. Uh, The family-friendliest network TV has ever produced, Full House and America's Funniest Home Videos. Others know him as an out-of-his-mind stand-up comedian who's been performing for over 30 years. From his HBO special, That Ain't Right, to his recent Grammy-nominated special, That's What I'm Talking About, to his scene-stealing cameos in Entourage and The Aristocrats, Bob Saget has always embraced his darker side. He's joined tonight by the Marconi Award-winning Ron Owens, who has had the top-rated program with KGO for over 35 years. He's interviewed everyone from President Barack Obama to Nancy Pelosi, Condoleezza Rice, Elliot Spitzer, and of course, tonight's guest, Bob Saget. So please join me to welcome Bob Saget and Ron Owens. This is so nice. Get it straight, pal. They're not here to see me, so you just enjoy yourself. I think yourself. they are. This, this, it seems like a lot of Jewish people. Listen to that. I I loved it. Jordan just said, you know, Full House. Most people know you more than anything from Full House. But you got Full House to the aristocrats, everything in between. Yes. Who are you? (laughs) I'm a bar mitzvah boy that didn't do well on his his Haftorah. No, but I mean, really, Um, where do you put yourself on a scale? If you've got Full House here and you've got aristocrats there. Well, they're two opposite, two-dimensional characters. They're both very two-dimensional. It's a guy that, because I love you, and he hugs, and he cleans. And then there's another guy that's misogynistic who'll have sex with anybody. It's just a cameo on a show about a bunch of misogynists who'll have sex with anybody. So you're the ladder. I am. I use a ladder when I have <laughs> sex. I like to dive onto people onto a, a rubber mat. And I've also directed stuff, you know, and uh, I have many different things. I say a lot of, I do a lot of things, none of them well. But um, I, I was a film student. I, went to, I was a comic at 17, and I went to Temple University and became a documentary filmmaker. When I, and Both went to Temple. Yeah. And I mean, you, 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 you want to scare an opponent. Owls are on the warpath. Hoot, hoot. That really gets them. Did, I liked the owls for a while, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Once in a while. You like the owls? <laughs> yeah. See, those like, Do you like uh, the, You mean the animal? 
I like it braised. It's a really good, really good Easter dinner. An owl. It's so good. You hide eggs in it, and kids love it. It's a very but Jewish people are wise. I think they should eat owl. <laughs> Have some chips with it or something like chips that. Chips and owl. Yeah, that what a great aim for uh, in and out place. Yeah, really. And they don't let's, have the Dad, thing let's the go bottom. to the chips and owl. You're, you'd eat wise potato chips with it. That's right. One could do that. That's the kind of joke I would do in that video show that people hated me because I did that kind of joke. Oh, that was the home video, America's... See? See, that's what people regarded it. Now, how, come, how many years was that on? That was, it was on eight. It was like Hanukkah. So you had eight and, years and of that, and you had eight years of full... <laughs> full house of eight years, full house of... Uh, yeah. And then what, Diana? That was a, yeah, it would have been enough for us. <laughs> would have been uh, If most people know you as Danny Tanner, I mean, do you switch... If, when somebody comes up to you, because I, I, today... He was on my program today, and it's amazing. All of a sudden, I'm the most popular guy in the, st- in the station because everybody's coming around to meet Bob. Do you adjust it to a persona? Somebody knows you from Full House, you're more Danny Tannerish. Somebody knows you're more aristocrats than you're more wisecracking. I, I try to take what I'm getting from people and then deliver back this is a human being. But if they come at me with aristocrats and tell me a joke about that, uh, that kind of is off-putting. So, I mean, I could say, yeah, I did Full House. I hugged, you know. Or do you guys, the question asked all the time is, do you guys get along? Are you friends? Do you guys get along? Are you friends? You know, it's interesting. I don't get asked that very much. But <laughs> we are. We are. John Stamos. See? That's, you can hear ovulation when you mention it. <laughs> and we're all still friends. I actually uh, wrote this book, which I don't even want to speak about tonight. Yeah. But I wrote, I worked on it a year you. and a half. Don't, you can't make me, I won't dance. But um, that uh, book I gave to my actual daughters first, and then I gave to the people from Full House, because they're my friends. I give it to Ashley, Mary-Kate, and Jody Sweeten, and Candace Cameron Beret, who could win Dancing with the Stars. I know that... That's a very big thing. I'm sure you're all voting constantly. Um, I have four phones. I, I vote for it just to be crooked. It's my only chance to be crooked. And John Stamos and Dave Coulier, who I'm, I'm very close with, Beyond Yogurt, Super Bowl commercial. Let's, let's talk the books for a minute. I mean, I was, I was kidding with you, but I was somewhat serious. And, and when we went off the air, you said, I mentioned Full House and all that. And you said, you know, Full House is one chapter. And it's really a very serious book. And I said, well, I understand that. And we talked a little serious. And then we go to the next break, and he says, you know, Ron, it's not just a serious book. It's a funny book. So, <laughs> so I'm clinically bipolar, Kind I of guess. ambivalent on that book. Thing. We've got to hammer it down that this is a book about death, but it's hilarious. <laughs> and it's about my testicles. Please don't leave them out. What it is, is. There's a lot of comedy about them. What is it with you and testicles? You know? I don't like to be alone. So <laughs> there's one of me. There's two of them. You know, I'm, yeah, but I mean, I'm never the, alone. One of the things, like when you were doing Full House and they did rundowns and stuff, and you'd be drawing penises all the time. I did do that. I uh, doesn't sound right. I wasn't doing it like American Pie on people's faces with a sharpie. But <laughs> we would be in the conference room and we'd have meetings. It was like being in school, and uh, the producers would say, "Bob, up to the room." And they would go through the script and give notes. And while the kids were there, I would just draw penises on the script and where my character was and just and show it to just Dave and John. And then the producers would go, what are you doing? I mean, literally like school. It was, it was, the show was made for 14-year-old girls. And, what happens uh, as Mary-Kate and Ashley get a little older and they find those scripts? They were nine when the show went off the air, so they really still didn't get it. It's a friendship that continued after that. In, as they became 16, 17, 18, stuff like that. How did they get so huge? I mean, they're just... 
you know, next to the Sultan of Brunei. When they're they're pretty they're pretty smart. What what they did was they didn't want people to control their life anymore. They didn't elect to be nine month old actors. So, you know, a fetus doesn't go. I want to be on television. So. <laughs> Dave Couillet did, but um, that's an exception. <laughs> but they're, they're very lovely. They loved fashion. I, of course, I give myself credit for everything because, you know, nar- narcissists wear a mic and talk about their book, you know. But um, I wish it was a mystery or something and we could find out how I got like this. Well, I think you could find <laughs> so out. Then my mystery would still be narcissistic. Well, you, st- <laughs> you started early stand-up. I mean, yeah. you were on Carson. In my 20s, I was on Carson. I was on it 13 times, which I remember very well. And um, the first time I was on, he was really kind to me. I told him a real dream that I'd had. And I, and I was on the air, and I never did stand-up on the show. I would just talk to him. Because then they would put funny people on that they thought meshed. Now it's not like that anymore. You've got to have a billion credits in order to achieve a spot on the talk show. And he, I said, this is a true story. He says, I don't care. Just tell it. <laughs> and he would just sit there like this while I would talk in my neurotic patter. And I had a dream that Johnny was driving a limo, and I was next to him. And he says, oh, I, I like this already. And in the back seat was Buddy Hackett, Buddy Rich, and Buddy Epson. <laughs> so I dreamed an alliteration. And I dreamed that I wanted to be in show business and be accepted, because these are buddies. And then I told him on the air that I dreamt I drove the limo into a ditch, and we got covered in water. And I saved you first, Johnny. He goes, oh, huh, thank you very much. <laughs> and then as I went back for Buddy Hackett, he goes, mm, okay. And then I, but then Buddy Rich, and uh, I didn't know Buddy Rich had just passed away two weeks before, so there I was with perfect timing. But he didn't, he didn't flinch. Johnny was true pro. And then I said I went back about an hour later for Buddy Ebsen. <laughs> and then I looked into the camera and I said, sorry, Mr. Ebsen. And then Johnny took a liking to me. And I, my parents met him. Um, and that was a trip. So my mother went up to him. He'd been doing the show for 30 years. My mother goes up to him and says, we just want you to know we think you're doing a very good job. <laughs> Made his day. He went, uh, thank you, ma'am. And he said, you want to see my new car? And, every, and then we walked out and looked at his new uh, Corvette. What, not, not my mother. She was not included. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of the things is, I, I said it to you this morning, there's almost that cliche that great comedy comes from tragedy. And in the book, I mean, you tackle some very difficult things. You've had a very difficult life when it comes to losing siblings and your parents. I mean, for, they lost, what, four, four kids? My parents lost four kids. Um, they were, uh, and in the book, I do this inappropriate thing all the time where I say, please hold your laughter to the end of this paragraph because it's the worst thing you can have happen. And um, there's no way to... It took a long time to try to get that tone right, to not just throw a gauntlet of death and then leave people there. It's hard to... It, it, with a gift of what I think I've tried to do with the book is make it gracious and, and graceful and l- people are aware that the humor is coming from... Well, my dad's is where the humor came from. My parents, two years before I was born to the day I was born, they had twins that were seven and eight days old and they lived full term uh, and they were healthy, full term birth. And the hospital had dysentery in Philadelphia. And like eight babies died. And so my parents never thought they'd recover from that, even though they had two older daughters. And then I was born. So I became kind of, for my mother, uh, the Messiah in, in a way. Yeah. 
And I said to her once, I said... Which you still consider yourself. She, she, well, I don't. I do not have that complex. But, I, you know, I, I assume that one day I will be crucified just for the hell of it. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if I got it, it's in the yard, it's all set up, and, you know... <laughs> I'm just, you know, I have friends over. They get crazy, you know, once, they, once they're smoking and drinking. There's nails right there. But, uh, and a mallet, a crown of thorns, nothing specific. But one time I was talking to my mother, and she's like, you're so amazing, Bobby. You're so great. You kept my life alive. I said, Mama, I'm not Jesus. And she said, no, you're better than Jesus. I said, what, Mom? This is so Freudian wrong on every level. And she passed away uh, two months ago. And it was interesting because the nature of this book, it's about comedy and death and how you survive through humor. And it's, it's a very positive book. It's not wallowing in the sadness that we all go through. Everybody goes through this terrible timeline of how long do you get to live. And when you leave young, it's, it's, it doesn't get much sadder. But m- my mother was um, reading the book. And we were, took her out one day, and she had a very pleasant um, exit from this world. She wasn't in pain. She loved it. She had a beautiful, bitched-out room. It looked, looked like a W hotel, but it was a, it was a hotel she in Santa 80, Monica. She was 89, right? Hmm? 89, yeah. And she looked really pretty. She said her secret to her skin was Dove soap and Lancome. <laughs> and then um, I actually uh, had her sitting there, and she was trying to read the book, and then I took her out for a ride and there was a, it was a Christian hospital and there was a Catholic hospital there was a statue of Mother Mary holding baby Jesus and I looked at her and said look mom they made a statue for us uh, <laughs> so she liked that and then she tried to read a hundred pages and then she just started to she had a few weeks with no food water or anything she wanted to let herself go because she was sick and, and she said I, got, I wanted to read more you're a very good writer I, I didn't know and, and I didn't either, frankly. And then, then she said she got to a chapter called Things I Shouldn't Have Done. <laughs> and then the next chapter was Relationships I'd Rather Not Talk About. <laughs> and I said, you know, you just prolonged your life by not reading those chapters because it would have shared with her things she didn't need to know. Can I guess that she did not see The Aristocrats? She did not. I, I, was, I, I banned her and my daughters from seeing it but I told you on the radio this afternoon my oldest daughter and your, your daughter's lovely by the way Thank you. she's going to go see the aristocrats now because we had this conversation Exactly. that's not good it's, <laughs> you know, it's an artistic film it's about it's jazz of how you tell the dirtiest joke it's inappropriate it won't be told here it doesn't really work I'm sure there's people that have seen it here right <laughs> for those that haven't seen it I will tell you and I won't tell you but it's about how de- well, I can't, but it's because it never works. It's about a family that's so desperate to get into show business that they'll do anything, and they do anything. And it's just no, it's not good. And 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 then the punchline is the agent goes, so what do you call yourselves after they've done something just horrific? And he he and they go the aristocrats. Now that's not a joke. What it is is it's opposite day of how disgusting they are. And that's what they call themselves. And they want to make it in show business with that act. So that's the humor of it. But my daughter was walking into the theater going, Dad, I'm going to go watch it. There's a thousand people. I'm like, please don't. No, I'll see you later. It's going to be great. And that was that. What about Full House? Were they watching Full House while, while they were growing up? They would sneak it. They, they, all their friends watched it. And I would walk by the room and my daughter would be watching me in a, in a Barney outfit or 
trying to milk a goat, something you never... <laughs> we, had, we had so much poop on the show, though, besides Dave Collier, who has a gas problem. There was a goat that, would, that pooped on a bucket, and I, it was in my shot, so I always had to have it there, and it had to match. And they didn't know it was poop, so they, they said, just leave it there. And I went, I, I, I smell crap. And they went, no, we need it to match. It looked like a really bad drink with a rotten lime on it, you know? But it was a turd. And um, <laughs> so it was not good. But, <laughs> but my kids love the show and love the values of it. My kids are very, very, I have three daughters that are 27, 21, and 24. And uh, I always do the middle one last. We call her the center child because the world revolves around her. And, and they're all very, very smart. And they love the book, which made me very happy. So I don't feel bad paying them monthly. I don't think I've ever seen you do stand-up, stand-up. I would love all the years I've like, known you, I don't. I mean, I, I full house. I would you do the honor next time I come to? here? Will you come to? I it? would come. I would you do that's, a Cobbs or something like that. That's. I'll probably do something. I can't go there anymore. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm damaged by comedy clubs. But the I, reason I ask that is like in reverse. Who makes you laugh today? Um. The people that I, I mean, there's a lot of different things that I find myself laughing at really hard. Um, I, I really, Louis C.K. is kind of something that I just, I just admire him. I admire his drive of why he's doing it. He's spelling it out. I can't believe they did this to my daughter. And it's about human interaction. And um, I, I don't always laugh, but I find such value in uh, Kevin Hart because he's speaking, he's coming from his heart. It's, it's, it's just the truth. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really funny people, and, and there's a lot we've been a lot of funny people have been dying lately, like young people, like I mean, David Brenner was a friend, but that's not a, a kid, but it's still tragic. But John Panette just died, and um, there's a lot of uh, Otto and George filthy ventriloquist act. Otto just passed away, uh, unwatchable, um, <laughs> filthy, filthy, but very very funny. But there's, but there's a lot of people that But in the I book, really like love. when we go back to the aristocrats, there were, there were people who were genuinely funny who just wouldn't do it. Like Chris Rock, I was surprised, did not right. do and, it. Right, but he was in it because he wanted to pay homage to it. Yeah. But he was there, but he didn't want to do that because he doesn't... And his, he can be very forward in his, his material. He'll talk about it in a very... You know, I'm no more R-rated than Chris Rock. You know, I'm people because I did family TV, people go like, oh, how did he turn from a dust-busting guy to a guy that talks about his penis? The truth of it is, if I could dust bust with my penis, I would have never, <laughs> never let that show end. I would, that would be on forever. Could you imagine? Everywhere you look, and that's my... Just, just going and just using it. Using it everywhere. Getting every nook and cranny as it was. Stamos could have come in. I said, let me get the back of your mullet for you. Let me... <laughs> Dave Coulier cut it out. That's... That's what he said. It sounds like a circumcision joke, but <laughs> let him laugh. Yeah, yeah. Let him laugh. I'm let it go. Want some water? Sure. You guys want water? I hit a matzah somewhere in the room. <laughs> this is the slowest pitcher I've ever seen. They said that about Sandy Koufax, but he was good. We don't talk Dodgers here. No, we don't. We don't talk Dodgers. You know, this is one of the few places that I, I, I... Last week, I was we were mutually admiring John Oliver today. Mm-hmm. And last week, um, we had nude pictures of him. But <laughs> last Tuesday, when the book um, opened or came out or whatever they call you it... You brought the pictures was, for later, right? I did. Okay. 
John Oliver uh, moderated a talk at the 92nd Street Y. It was completely Jewish. It was, I've never seen it. Any, I thought I was at high holiday services. I mean, <laughs> and it feels it has remnants of that tonight. And they, I, may I do a test? I did it last week. Go. It scared John Oliver. He was frightened because he does not know Jewish culture or prayers. We'll just see. I went like this. I went, Borhu et Adonai Hamvorach. 20% Jews. You should be... That's 25% you didn't do the Shema. not Jewish. No, you don't do that. That would be really... The Shema would be obvious. Yeah, you and can't, but that... that even would Oliver could do that one. Yeah, he could do the Shema. But that, that, now we know that they're in the lesser, which is good, I feel. Um, now they're a little scared. They had coupons, probably. <laughs> You're listening to comedian, actor, and television host, Bob Saget, who died in January at the age of 65. Best known for his work on Full House, America's Funniest Home Videos, Entourage, and numerous stand-up specials, Saget appeared at JCCSF in 2014 to share his memoir, Dirty Daddy, The Chronicles of a Family Man Turned Filthy Comedian. He was joined in conversation by veteran radio talk show host, Ron Owens, on Bina, a series featuring creative voices from the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco. Bina is also available as a podcast, and you can find it at kalw.org. You, you, you know, the, one of the first questions that I asked, though, is who are you? And it, it's really tough to pigeonhole you. Do that sounds, that, that sounds dirty, by the way. It does. And, and, and don't do it. You younger people, that's an animal. <laughs> Pigeonholing, it can be painful for both parties. And terrible if you just washed your car. I don't even know if that's against the law to, to actually pigeonhole. <laughs> Is it? it? Does anyone know? Somebody got 13 and 30 years for doing that. Did they really? No. Oh, the news today, by the way, somebody heard it. Like, they killed a dog, two guys. Yeah, is that unreal? I cannot believe that. You want to tell the rest of the part of that? I know. No, I can't. <laughs> I, I, I did say that. That's what the idea of the book is, which is too soon, really is too soon when it's that terrible. Well, too soon is the Gilbert Gottfried line, right? Yes, and yeah. he, he did the, yes, that was where he did that in The Aristocrats, actually, because it was right after 9-11, and he uh, did a joke, and that is too soon. Kennedy jokes are still too soon. <laughs> Actually, Abraham Lincoln jokes are too soon. No, I, I had Lincoln a joke. I had a joke, and it never did well. My mother was born February twelfth, Abraham Lincoln's birthday, and to celebrate, my dad took her to a play and shot her in the head. <laughs> I'm moving here. That's never. It's never gotten that big a laugh in my entire life. I can't even believe that. And how did you enjoy the JCC, uh, <laughs> Mrs. Schwartz? It is interesting, the timing of it, of, of things. But she said two men, right as she said that, I whispered in your ear. I, I shouldn't have laughed, but that's what happens when I hear terrible, terrible things. Unless it's, I mean, you know, there's, there's horrors that you can't make a joke about. You just shake your head and you feel pain. But ultimately, two men, you can. I mean, ultimately, because, you, especially if like, if you're in the news business, because you, you've got to 
Otherwise, right. I mean, you'd fall apart if you didn't have a joke. And I love Sarah Silverman. She's, Holocaust jokes are the, a staple that she does that are yeah. so good. She has one joke where her aunt, uh, she misunderstood a German lady that said to her aunt, uh, you were cute as a button. And what she actually meant was, you'd be cute as a button. <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's a Holocaust joke. And uh, I, I like that. But the... the uh, the timing thing today was right there. And she's a lovely news person. What's her name, that news oh, person? Oh, uh, Kim Foster. She's, she's so professional. And, she's totally. And I'm like running around like a hyperactive kid on Ritalin that should be asleep. And every time he'd come over to talk to me, like in the studio, every time he'd do it was exactly the time when she was going live. Two men thing. tried to, two men stabbed the dog and killed it today. So I was like, two Jews go into a dog and they kill it. <laughs> it's not, but you laugh, but it's not good. I mean, a dead dog's not good. Pigeonholing, a little better. A lot better. I, I think I'm Groucho-influenced. I really do think that that's what the punster of it all is. Because one of the first jokes I ever wrote was, uh, I have the brain of a German shepherd and the body of a 16-year-old boy, and they're both in my car, and I want you to see them. So that was like one of the first things I ever wrote when I was 17. So something's wrong with me. Is that what you always aspire to? I mean, just comedy? That was you were No, I was a direction? film student. I went to, I made student films since I was like eight. In fact, as a man friend, a man friend of mine. <laughs> there you go. It all comes out. My man friend I met through my second husband. He, um, his name is Neil Lieberman. I'm going to shout him out because he, he actually taught me a lot about comedy. He even played for me. A song on a tape. He had all these great comedy tapes. He played that song that I ended up doing and saying, oh. it was an old farmer who sat on a rock, that old classic old song that I, I can't really say stole because I researched it. I cover it. <laughs> I cover that song. Can you do a couple of verses just... There was an old farmer who sat on a rock, stroking his whiskers and shaking his fist at his neighbors who sat on their ricks, teaching their children to play with their kite strings and marble. <laughs> but Neil is the reason, and he's a, he's a very astute comedy person. And I, I learned a, a lot. We made movies. We made a, a movie called Hitler on the Roof. Um, <laughs> well, it sounds like the producers. I of botched thing. it. It was... It was better a title, I think. I, I messed it up. But then I went to film school at Temple University, mm -hmm. and uh, I won the Student Academy Award when I was 21 for a documentary I made about my nephew who had his face reconstructed. Um, and he was seven, and he had a genetic birth defect, and they fixed it. And he's 43 now, and he's healthy and doing well. And um, then I went to L.A. to go to film school and then became a stand-up comic. And How did that... You just dropped in... Dropped out of USC after three days of grad school, and I went on at the comedy store, and the owner said, you should work here for free. And, <laughs> and I did that for eight years. And then I would come up here and play the clubs up here, the Punchline, Holy City Zoo, Cobbs. Uh, has a lot of fun at Cobbs over the years. And did, did all the places, and that's when Robin was breaking, and it was before he got Laughing Part 2. That's when I met Robin Williams. And uh, David Letterman was about to get his morning show on NBC. So it was a really long time ago, and Richard Pryor would come in, and I got to know him and watch all of the stuff that went into him. And I know from the... <laughs> that didn't even mean to come out that way. And then I did a movie with him. I went, it was called Critical Condition, which also was aptly titled. And, um, and we spent three weeks in High Point, North Carolina, and I got to know him and... Uh, it's all, it was amazing, the comedy scene. It was amazing here, the comedy scene in 1978, 1980. The mm -hmm. people that were coming out of here, you couldn't even believe it. But what's, what's, what's interesting is all the times that we've talked and been together, and you're, 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 you're 
obviously very funny, wisecracking, having fun in life. This book you're serious about. You really want this book to be read. I do, and it, and it happened because it took so long to write and, and found out everybody does that. It's suffering is writing a book, but it's also cathartic and wonderful. And I wore a catheter while I wrote it. But, <laughs> but it was, uh, when I started writing it, my laptop was heating my, my balls. And, <laughs> and that's the book. I mean, it's like a riffing. So I do riffing kind of like, you know, whatever aristocrats type of riffing. And I was concerned that I was going to hurt my testicles and they were going to end up like a tortoise, you know, like a hard shell, and I would burn them. So I kept going to the other computer, and then I actually went to switch to a, a, an Airbook um, Plasma, very light laptop, mm-hmm. and I went, I'm going to do this, or I can't write this book. And, and then it's the hard drive was making a grinding sound. I was afraid it was going to eat my testicles. <laughs> it was grinding and heating and cooking. It was like a bad dim sum restaurant. <laughs> And I went to the Mac store, and I walked in, and I, I, took, I had loaded everything onto the thing. It takes like eight hours to do that. I went up to the genius, and I said, I'm taking this back. It's not cooking my balls. And I said, I'm writing a book. He thought it was so funny. He didn't care. They credited me, and I credited me. The Jew has to tell you that he got credited. <laughs> I got credited, and then, and then I went uh, home, and I finished the thing for a year on a computer that I really shouldn't have it truly heated up my, my package. Have you gone like five minutes of your life without talking about your penis or your balls? I do performance uh, scatological thought, but I, the book is pretty thoughtful. Yeah. I, I, and it's, it deals with also, I mean, the, the death is kind of what propelled me to want to write it because I didn't want to write a memoirs and I wanted to make write a comedy book. So it's kind of a combination of all those things. It has a little philosophy in it because... It, it has things like Rodney Dangerfield telling me, you know, just go like a tank. Nobody wants you to make it. Just keep going. And things like that, that meant something to me. It, a lot of just, I guess, therapy or people giving me experience of theirs, which is don't let anyone define you. Because mm-hmm. I'm a person, they go, are you dirty? Are you clean? What are you? I don't, I don't know. And it doesn't really matter because you do what you do. It's, you do a show, you do something. And people want to define you, I'm sure, in some way. You probably have. Right. And it's negative. But anyway. Oh, I don't think... Uh, I, it's no. probably mixed. No. You, you know a lot of information, so... Q, people... A, this is about you. Okay. <laughs> uh, High Q, A-hole. There you, there you go. <laughs> I work on those A-listers. Maybe that's... <laughs> I'm uh, not No, I mean, one... I think of you like an entourage. You did like three, four shows in entourage, Right. Right. And I would think that for somebody like you, who deep down is a really good guy, it's fun to play against character like yes. that. Yes. And there, it, it is. And it was also interesting. I was one time, I had a, I had a, a girlfriend. I had to put her down. And, um, <laughs> but I was in the backyard going, I don't know why people think I'm that entourage guy. And I was standing there unshaven in a black robe, smoking a cigar, <laughs> sitting in a jacuzzi. And I just looked exactly like the character. So I was protesting too much. I, do, I, I, I had some real messed up times in my life, which I went through the early 80s in the comedy scene. Mm-hmm. So, and then I, trying and struggling for eight years, you get around a lot of controlled substances and you get around booze. And there's a story in the book, in the middle of the book, it's really a just say no chapter. And even into Full House, there's something I did, which I'll share because it's a funny story, but it's terribly stupid and... Don't do it. But it was, we were bored. I was doing Full House for eight years. And 
four years in, it was Michelle, played by Ashley and Mary-Kate. It was her birthday party. And I had just... I'd been going through a lot of stress. I had a sister that had, had come... These are my excuses for my terrible behavior. <laughs> Other person would just say, I'm going through a hard time and just behave normally. But I had a sister who uh, was diagnosed with scleroderma. So that is a, a thing that I... I'm, a, I'm on the board of directors of it, and I, we've raised $30 million. This is how I literally tee up a story about inhaling nitrous oxide during a sitcom. <laughs> This is the you reason get them I'm with telling. you. You have to get them to know that you're not a murderer. Right. And you I mean, love people and you want to help people, but that's... this is how I had to do drugs. So I, uh, she uh, passed away, my sister Gay, at 47. And while that was happening, I was on Full House. And also we, we I don't know, I was stressed out. And so Dave and John and I, we had to do this party scene for Michelle's birthday cake. And it was like being on Barney or something. You know, it was like... Mm-hmm. I like you, you like me. It was like on a little, little baby show, yeah. which is yeah, which is baby beluga. I mean, I had to sing that on the show. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so we went in the back room, uh, in the prop room, and it was pretty harmless what we did. I mean, you don't do this. It was nitrous oxide is what they use in Ready Whip yeah. to propel the whipped cream. Well, you know, I locked the prop door. I was going a little crazy. And this is, and the kids are waiting for it, the whipped cream. I, I didn't know what was going on on set. That was Michelle's birthday party about to happen, and so they needed the whipped cream for the cake. But I didn't know, and so the three of us did. And this is in the book. It's a lovely story for the book. <laughs> and we did a little nitrous oxide, which is nothing from witty, witty whip. <laughs> it really doesn't damage your brain at all. But <laughs> we all inhaled it. And John's gone. What are we doing this for? I said, I don't know. I'm bored. Just let. Isn't it fun? And then they're going, no. And then I think Dave farted. And then we, we, la- we left the room and we get out on the set. They're yelling at us, where are you guys? And then it was time to shoot the scene. So, and then we're not high or anything. It's like 30 seconds, it's gone. It's a meaningless high. Dentist office gives it to you in large dose to put you down. But we were just idiots. And they're trying to spray Ready Whip on the cake and tape's rolling. And there's 16 little kids there, the 16 four-year-olds, which is not easy to have anywhere. And they're on a set. They're all running around. And there's no whipped cream. What happened to the whipped cream? And and the producers looked over at John, Dave, and me. (laughs) And we're just like, (laughs) we're just like stoned and stupid. And I'm like, "We're, we're bored. And... And they went and got Cool Whip, and the kids had a really crappy birthday party. <laughs> we had to sing Happy Birthday. So that's, that's about the worst thing that I, I did uh, that way. Were you the only one considered for Denny Tanner? I was not. Originally, it was Gary Coleman. Um, <laughs> but Stamos refused to uh, have him say, What you talking about, Jesse? <laughs> It was a gentleman uh, named John Posey, and I never say his name, and a very nice guy. I never met him, and uh, I've been reading because of this tour of, of this book. It's mentioned on things, and they've been doing some profiles on him and, and talking about him. He seems like a really nice guy, and they, they did the pilot. They wanted me originally. I wasn't available. I was getting fired from the morning program, and uh, that actually is what allowed me to do the part of Danny Tanner, and they reshot the pilot. They were doing it a lot with people. Um, Perfect Strangers was originally not um, Mark Lynn Baker. It was uh, Louis Anderson. And, they, and Robin Williams was John Biner on Mork and Mindy. It was a very unusual thing. And the same producers, they would see who worked better for them. So I, I did this part, and 
we didn't know it was going to la- last, and it, 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 it was hard to keep it on the air. And the network really stood behind it, which they don't do anymore. What do you mean it was hard to keep it on the air? Didn't the have ratings the were beginning? The numbers now are better than anything that the well, three yeah, networks yeah. get. But it wasn't performing well, and so they had it on Tuesday nights. And the show didn't know what it was either. We were dating women and stuff, and everybody was like, is it a kid's show? Is it Bosom Buddies? And then it became kind of happy days. I was Richie Cunningham, and Dave was Ralph and Potsy, and John was, you know. Did you have input into it, or was it just, you know, give me the script, I'll do it? Uh, I thought it was great, because the pilot was about loss. It was about telling my kids that uh, I needed help to raise them, because their mama died. It was a very serious pilot, really serious. And... um, it's just strange how the whole thing happened. And then after four years, they moved us to Fridays, and it became TGIF. You, you talked about uh, the opening of Full House, and you had to explain that the mom had died. Brings us to How I Met Your Mother, and you did not do the narration on the last show. No, I did not. And, and a lot of people were disappointed in just the ending, but I, any major show, whatever it ends, people are disappointed. And it's very hard to end a show. Um, I mean, people were upset with the Seinfeld ending. I love The Sopranos ending because... I loved it. Yeah. It was great. It's, uh, and that brings up... There's a lot of talk about in my book about what happens when you die because I've had so many people. And the Tony Soprano version is you cut to black. There's just nothing. Mm-hmm. But uh, my mother's view is she's used Dove soap. She told me, I told you today she's going to come back as a dove, she said. Then she's going to signal me. And then I said, please don't creep me out. And then I said to her, if you have dove soap in your mouth, it's definitely you, right? A a dove with dove soap in its uh, mouth. And then I figured if she just starts talking to me, hello, Bobby, and she's a dove, I'm going to kill myself. (laughs) She'll be on my shoulder. Make a left. (laughs) Come on, Bobby. You're better than Jesus. (laughs) Yes, um... I, I sidebar so many times. Uh, no, we, we, were, we were talking about how I met your mother. Yes, people so not being happy with the ending. And interestingly enough, people are uncomfortable with death, and that was a premise that made sense to me that the mother passed away, which is why he. Why else would you talk to narrate your kids for nine years uh, to explain something to them? They were he was filling them in. What was interesting about it was I was going through that with my own mother while this was happening. And I was invited to the reading because I love all those people. They're like, and I actually, the reason I did the show at all was because Pam Fryman, the director, we, our daughters were friends together in school. And I was doing a play in New York, and she said, You want to narrate this guy, Josh Radner? This is 10 years ago. And I said, Well, why wouldn't they have him do it? And she said, No, we want, like the Wonder Years, we want it to be like an outsider who can see it from another perspective so he can look back on his life. I said, well, that sounds cool. And then I read the script, and I loved it, and I said, sure, I'll do it. So I started recording it, mostly at 20th Century Fox. For the last episode, it was an hour episode, I went there with my oldest daughter. And we sat there and watched the cast read it. And it was heartbreaking. It was more, it was heavier. They, they took out things that a network television is really not pal- palatable for a show that is a commercial comedic show that's always it has serious moments in it over the nine years but most of the time it doesn't go and then we you know when she got cancer uh, that's and um, I was thrilled that they did it the way they did it because it felt right to me it changed a little bit on the air but I knew I wasn't narrating it and people that were outraged that I wasn't like the star of the show if you don't know the show Josh Radner kind of even started to look like me. They tried to give him the comb over at the end and, <laughs> and looked like I was hosting the video show in the suit. He had that. 
But if he couldn't have turned into me, people were going, he should have turned into him like the Matrix or something. <laughs> like he should just morph into me. And the other point is, in Spain, that's not my voice narrating in any way. So what's yeah. the problem? It's just some good Spanish guy. This is Bina, KALW series featuring artists and thinkers who've spoken at the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco. Today's guest is comedian, actor, and television host Bob Saget, who died in January at the age of 65. Best known for his work on Full House, America's Funniest Home Videos, Entourage, and numerous stand-up specials, Saget appeared at the JCCSF in 2014 to share his memoir, Dirty Daddy, The Chronicles of a Family Man Turned Filthy Comedian. He was joined in conversation by veteran radio talk show host Ron Owens. Bina is also available as a podcast, and you can find it at kalw.org. Overall, <laughs> if, if you, 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 you get up in the morning and you're so quick with the wisecracks and the one-liners and the like, what I find difficult to understand is how you can do shows like, well, narration is one thing, but like a full house where you have to stick to a script. Yeah, that was a different time. I'm not, and I would stick to a script now. There's a couple things acting-wise that I'm interested in. There's a thing I want to direct and that I'm setting up that's set up. But I don't like TV promoting or movie. it. That's a movie thing, but there's another TV thing where they want me to develop my own thing, so I'm probably going to write it. And this is all happening kind of... all Things are happening at the same time, which is fun. And it's it's more... I'm not capable of doing what Full House was anymore, that kind of... So no reunion show? Well, no, we just hang out. I don't think there'll ever be a reunion. I mean, I was telling you today that when my mother was sick, uh, Dave and John came into the room, yeah. and um, Dave farted in her room. <laughs> and she said, oh, that's fine. <laughs> she, like, loves Dave. And then he did say to her, you look like an angel. And she said, not yet. <laughs> she had a bar of dove in her mouth, and she'd already started to get plumage. She was already starting to turn into... She was transforming, like, like the donkeys in Pleasure Island and Pinocchio. She was slowly turning into a dove. She was shrinking, and <laughs> See, my dad would laugh at this stuff. He, he, he would think that was funny. Oh, yeah, of course your mother turned into a dove. That's what happens when you get that. That's that bird flu is terrible. <laughs> he would just do those jokes. He would, he, he, very funny guy. You would have liked my dad. I know I would have liked your dad, especially yeah. I'm giving you the sense of humor. Well, you know, another guy that helped you along, too, is Don Rickles. And I love Don I Rickles. I love Don Rickles. And he's going to come up here and perform again. I don't know where he'll be. He says he likes to go to the Indian casinos because he wants to rob their money. <laughs> <laughs> he is, uh, he's so wonderful. I was lucky enough to direct him in a movie called Dirty Work that Norm MacDonald starred in. And that's, that's how many people saw it opening weekend, by the yeah. way. MGM told me I owed them $30 million personally. But Don, Don's the kind of guy, I hadn't seen him for a couple years after we did that movie, and he, he grabbed me in a, in a restaurant by the head, and Soto Voce just grabs my head and whispers in my ear, I don't miss you at all. <laughs> just, you know, just to give you that moment that you mean nothing to him. And I called him a couple weeks ago, and he's like, what? What do you want? <laughs> so that's how he answers the phone. I remember 
Sorry, by the way, sorry for your loss. Will you stop calling me? <laughs> well, he was, didn't he do a bit with, with Sinatra or something, and he asked Sinatra to come to a table. Do you remember that? Bit? Yeah. Tell him. And the lady came over and was obviously t- trying to talk to Frank and was interested, in, and he goes, please, not while I'm eating. That was the, <laughs> he yells at the lady, and Sinatra, uh, he, was, he was very close to Frank. He's very close with one, another one of my favorite stand-ups, Bob Newhart. Um, they're best friends. They go to dinner. They've always been best friends. They've yeah. always been, and they, they're two different, completely different kind of people. And the biggest honor for me was like 10 years ago, uh, Don Rickles was trying to explain to Bob Newhart and Tim Conway what my comedy was. <laughs> and, and these guys, and they're funny guys. I mean, Bob Newhart will say irreverent stuff. Tim Conway will be filthy. And they won't do it in their performances. And I just, you know, I cut right to the chase. I figured. <laughs> but Don's perception of what I do is Don says that I grab a guitar and he says, here he comes. He's a Jewish Clark Kent. And all of a sudden, he starts singing dirty songs. And, and Newhart and Tim Comrade are going, he does? And he goes, yeah, he starts singing. And the monkey the dog and the dog. I said, Don, I don't do that. That's what it sounds like. Do you write your own material if you do stand? Who else would want to write what I do? <laughs> I do. I do. I, I, I write. I've been writing more. The, the book's cool because it allows me to. I, the best thing for me about writing a book is that I learned it's, it's your friend. I'm writing mm-hmm. to my friend, so I wrote it. So it's very personal, obviously. And my stand-up is I'm it, I'm talking to a lot. It, it's a relationship, but it's a group. You know, it's a town meeting. That's your friend. The thing that makes it, to, uh, we were talking about doing stand-up and the like, would scare the death out of me is I can make a one-liner and if it falls flat, who cares? When you do it in front of people, it's, it's, it just gets to you. How long does that last where it just gets to you? It does it. Sometimes it, it comes back and there is a fear, but most of the time I've done it so many times. I've been doing it for 37 years. So it's, it's um, is that how many years? We have to go to commercial. Um, <laughs> it, it's, a f- really comfortable thing for me. But well, I mean, is it all scripted when you're doing it? I don't know what I'm going to do. I have a thousand things I want to say, and I'll do stuff from, like, right now, I haven't been able to write a lot of new material, big things because of the book, because yeah. I was delivering the book, and that was a year and a half. But I'm going to Australia next month, so it's going to be I'm a tour, a live nation, like four theaters and all over the country. And then that'll be the best of, and they've... Never really seen me. They've seen my specials and they know Full House, but, and you know, I'll probably get beaten up because they tell me the women are beautiful and the men just punch you. <laughs> that's, that's what I heard. But then when I come back, I want to thoughtfully try to do what some of my favorite stand ups have done, which is sit down and write and do something a little different. To, to bring it full circle and to say, Who are you? You're flying back into the United States, you've got to fill out the form, and it's his occupation. What do you put? Uh, right now, uh, this month, I put uh, writer. So you just change it as you go along. Well, I, I do writer a lot because otherwise they say, I've said entertainer, and you don't want to do that. At the, at the, <laughs> at the, Rodney Dangerfield used to say that in his whole career, he was living in fear of that not, not getting that laugh. He wanted to kill. And he used to say that um, the Jewish guy at the German border, he doesn't get shot if he does his best six minutes. And that's how he looked at customs. Well, and, he was... We, we talked a little about Rodney on the air today. He was not a very happy guy. I mean, he was unhappy a lot. Um, 
He loved pot. He smoked it every day. Right. He said it. He, he wanted to put it on his epitaph. Um, and I actually officiated his funeral. Uh, and it was a three-hour funeral. It was a lot of... It was a very interesting thing and very, very sad. And um, he told me the best way to be, go through life is to be born... Um, I was a Jewish neurotic guy. He said, you, you're Jewish. You're, you're thinking all the time. You're not going to sleep. Your mind's always going. You're man uh, uh, and he said best to be born rich stupid and not Jewish <laughs> but he also said to go like a tank and don't ever don't ever stop because people do want to stop you or he actually we talk about movies and he has a movie that nobody really knows about back to school you remember that one that was so big. one of the most classic movies I love it's a great that. great movie he, he um, take a look at my Longfellow it was <laughs> He was 59 when he did Caddyshack. Right. So his career, he was Jacob Cohen, then he became Jack Roy, and then he became uh, Rodney Dangerfield. So talk about no respect and surviving. There's a chapter in the book called Surviving Stand-Up, and it brings him up. It brings up a lot of people. Some people never made it. A lot of people were so brilliant, and for some reason there's just something that didn't happen. And then others were the best you could possibly watch and get to know. If you go back and you look at the TV shows that you were growing up with, I, I got to believe what? I Love Lucy, Honeymooners. That's exactly. Like that. I was just at the Museum of Broadcasting the other night and they asked me my favorite TV shows. So oh, with those? Honeymooners and I Love Lucy were the first. Seinfeld's up. getting in there too. Seinfeld's and Curb, it's a couple of them. I mean, there's also, I mean, I, I actually was 15 and I was, I didn't know I was going to be in show business. I wanted to be a doctor. And, uh, I would have hurt a lot of people. <laughs> Your mother would have been happier. She would have. I, I, at least I stayed in medicine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm on medicine, but I don't. I don't, yeah. I don't practice. I practice medicine. <laughs> that one seemed good. I'll take that again. Um, but I used to sneak on the sets of uh, the Mary Tyler Moore Show, and I'd watch them shoot that. And I snuck on the set and saw. I just wrote a thing for Time Magazine. They asked me the best television dads. Um, Time. Dot com, not magazine, because uh-huh. they she ran video. And uh, Archie Bunker, I used to, I watched All in the Families getting filmed. I watched a couple of them, and they did it in an hour and 15 minutes each show. Full House took nine hours to shoot. Well, didn't they do shows like, which were shot in front of an actual studio audience? Both of those shows were shot, and, and the stage was raised. It was similar to this. You were up on a stage. A lot of the other ones, you were down. The, the, the people that were being filmed and Cheers and Friends and Seinfeld, the audience is up here in bleachers and the audience is, I mean, in the set and the actors are out in this expanse. But in All in the Family, it was a play. They built the set, cameras tracked through the set. They did some really cool camera angles that they don't do anymore in television. Why? Playhouse 90 kind of stuff. Oh. Because they, they don't shoot like that. They don't shoot live for television. They would shoot live and then they would fix the line cut afterward now it's all digital film and it's four cameras and you throw them into the, your avid bit and you edit them you just pick all the best of your takes this was there's something beautiful about it because it was just more, more pure actual live acting that you were seeing you hosted saturday night live too didn't you i did host saturday night live and i had a, a very good time they wanted to um in my monologue I, I wanted to show the video from the video show where the monkey uh, scratched as if they wouldn't let it be on the show. It was a controversy. A monkey scratched. This is the one where the monkey was a dog. No, there's nothing. That that doesn't even exist. Oh. That was just that was Don Rickles making up what he thinks I do. 
the there's a monkey scratching his 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 butt, and then he <laughs> sorry and needed to embellish, and he goes up and smells he smells his hand, and then you've all seen it, and he passes out yeah. from uh, falls out of the tree yeah. from the smell of his own f- funk, as it were. And I wanted to run that on the show, and um, Lauren Michael said, "Why can't we get that? We just want to run it." And instead, I told that story, described it. And the reason they wouldn't part with it was ABC said it's their property. It's property of, well, you can have it. <laughs> Good for you. Make it part of the logo. Don't you have bigger fish to fry, ABC? Couldn't do that. Network TV, you know, and now it's Disney. Now they can run it now. Yeah. Farts are always in Disney movies. They're very popular now. So how much of your, your future is laid out for you? You want to produce, you want to direct, you want to act. You want to, how, how far ahead are you committed? Um, I'm on a plane tomorrow. That's as far as I got. The thing I want to do next, I think, is the, I'm putting my most energy into is the script that I've been developing with this producer for two years. And that's something I would act in. and uh, TV or movie? And direct movie. Movie. Indie. Independent movie, which because the whole world's changing. I mean, somebody can make a movie right in this room that could win an Oscar. You never fell out of favor, though. I did in different ways. I would, I would, I always had stand up as a friend. I did have. There's a chapter, and I keep saying this. I can't help. It's all I've been talking about for twelve days. I'm like Rain Man, Charlie Babbitt. There's a chapter in the book. <laughs> I, I there were. There's a thing called what it's like to be loved and hated because. People would go, oh, I, I hate you. Or my, my brother likes you, but I hate you. I'm like, well. What oh, is there to okay. hate? I mean. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe. Well, well House is as vanilla as you can get. It is. And it's, I think people did. We're angry when That Ain't Right came out on HBO. I do know that people said, why did you do this? Uh, you've got kids. And I said, I've been doing this forever. I was, this is what I always did. And that's what I, I just do different things. But then they think. You're either this or that, so you're 180. You're either a clean-cut guy, that's a character. My, my argument was always, Anthony Hopkins doesn't eat people, it's a character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, w- I was on Conan O'Brien's show, and he said, no, no, Anthony Hopkins eats people. <laughs> and, and then, um, there's so many other dimensions I've done, you know, I love acting. I just pick my spots, because I don't want to do anything that's too painful. Because it, it's something that makes me too unhappy to do the gig because I don't want to complain about what I do. Not that you were mentioned, but you could have easily taken over for David Letterman, too. I mean, oh, that that's, that's really... Not, well, actually, the, I, I was offered it only if I became a woman. <laughs> they said if I got the surgery and had a big Adam's apple. That's My a word. high compliment, by the way. I don't, I don't even see that. I mean, I look up to him and uh, love him. I think Stephen Colbert is... I just have a man crush on him, so... Yeah. Well, I, 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 I think, I think he's superb. I'll wrap it up by asking a question appropriate to where we are. You cannot go anywhere in the world and turn on a TV without seeing Full House. You get residuals <laughs> for every one of these. Uh, it becomes nothing. It becomes like dollars. That's the interesting thing people always go, and I've been wise and, and happy that I've been able to save money and you know, I didn't go crazy. I didn't get a grill. <laughs> and I have three daughters that, I, that I'm proud of and stuff. And so, no, you got to be an owner. You, an owner is, you know, Larry David and Jerry. And, mm-hmm. um, but I was a highly paid talent. So, yeah, you get residuals, but you can't buy. You can maybe buy shoes. Uh, but the beauty of it is. You yeah, could do better. Uh, these were free. Um, <laughs> like that mattress you get. Sleep train. Well, sleep train. Sleep train. That just sounds like a hobo. <laughs> 
It's a mattress and a train. I pictured. I didn't want to say it on the air because they know, were sponsored. You, you actually sound like one it's of It's in a boxcar. That's, that's real. That's, you know, that's Grapes of Wrath kind of living. <laughs> Where'd you come from? I was like, I was on the, I'll be out there. Always be there. Tom Jode, sleep train. <laughs> that's why there's the spots. Bob Saget. Thank you. Ron Owens paid me the tribute. Thank you for doing it. Pleasure. You know that. Truly, I, I've been real fortunate. I've, done, I've been on KGO for 39 years, and there are some people who really stand out. This is a great human being. He's a cool guy. He is fun. He's just, I'm delighted to do it. I want to give you a back rub. The worst part is I'll accept it. (laughs) I have a question for Ron. What scent Epsom salts do you like? (laughs) Vanilla. Bring it back to Full House. So does. Right. (laughs) Maybe I'll put a Full House logo on the wall while we're... This got too fruity pebbles. Yeah, it's getting too bad. Thank you, everybody. I'm going to say goodbye. (laughs) Thank you. Very much. Thank you. Bina is a co-production of the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco and KALW. For more information about programs at the JCCSF, you can visit jccsf.org. Today's guest was comedian, actor, and television host Bob Saget, who died in January at the age of 65. Best known for his work on Full House, America's Funniest Home Videos, Entourage, and numerous stand-up specials. Saget appeared at the JCCSF in 2014 to share his memoir, Dirty Daddy, The Chronicles of a Family Man Turned Filthy Comedian. He was joined in conversation by veteran radio talk show host Ron Owens. I'm David Kwan, editor and producer of the program. Our theme music is from the album Masada Rock by the Roshanim Trio. And the music you're hearing right now is by John Zorn. Bina is available as a podcast, and you can find it at kalw.org. Thanks for listening.